0: Well, I would love to ask you this morning a question. And I'd love to hear some feedback. When I say the word religion, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Religion. Just, just call it out. Church? Okay. Belief? Stuffy? Faith? Faith? Laws, okay. What else? What's that? Many, Many okay. Ch- chains and, and binds, bind, okay. Guilt, where'd that come from? Guilt, what's that? Followers. Followers, okay. Now let me ask you, oh, that's great. Let me ask you this. When I say the word relationship, what comes to mind? Commitment, compassion, love, Connection, friendship, safety, what's that, caring, okay, one more, honesty, okay, good. Now, we're going to take a look, we're going to continue in Ephesians chapter 2, and we looked at the first seven verses last week, we're going to continue into the next three verses today. And as part of our series today, we're looking at this idea of religion versus relationship. Okay? And I think that we can see from the answers and reactions, there's definitely at least a perceived difference between the two. Okay? Now, we talked last week about the fact that God was coming for Christmas. And essentially, God coming actually was Christmas, all right? That was the whole point and the idea and the concept of Christmas, right? So, He's coming for Christmas. We said He's coming and He's bringing gifts. Now, the question that we're going to pursue a little bit more today is the idea of what is the gift that He's bringing at Christmas? What's in that gift box, right? If we were to open that up and look inside what would we find? Now, we can take a look at Janie and her uh, band of hairdressing warriors up here. And they are really wrestling with this idea of gift, right? There seems to just be this real sense of, you know, almost, almost kind of that old adage of there's no such thing as a free lunch. You ever heard that before? There's no such thing as a free lunch. They're really wrestling with that idea of this, this is too good to be true. This can't be possible. Nobody just gives something like that to someone with no strings attached, right? That's not real life. And so Janie has, has really been wrestling and struggling with this. And of course, the metaphor here is that Janie's been offered a gift. And at Christmas, we're reminded that we've been offered a gift as well. So the question today, the big idea, if you will, and you can write this down on your paper if you'd like to, the big idea is that when we open God's gift, we find a relationship, not a religion. We find a relationship, not a religion. Now we're going to take a look at Ephesians chapter 2. And you can go ahead and, and turn there if you have a Bible. If not, It'll be up on the screen, as, and there's also Bibles down here if you'd like to grab one. Now, we know that many things have been done in our culture, in our world, and in our history. Many things have been done in the name of religion, right? There's been many wars that have been fought in the name of religion. There's been many movements, both positive and some very negative, that have been done in the name of religion. We can even think as extreme of an example as Adolf Hitler, who did what he did, one of the most horrific, most evil acts of our our memory, in the name of what? Religion, right? A distorted view. And we see how this idea of religion, distorted and in the wrong hands, can be a very dangerous but also very powerful weapon. So what I want us to look at is as we open this, this gift box, we begin to see that maybe our view of what religion is and what people think of when they say religion is really not at all what God actually had in mind when He sent His Son at Christmas to be the, the one who paid the penalty for us. We talked last week about the first, uh, the first seven verses of Ephesians 2. We talked about how Paul was writing to a church at Ephesus that he had, uh, had relationship with there. And how in the first three verses, we see things words like transgression, sinner, um, ways of the world, dead... These are not positive words for you and me. And we talked about the fact that those first three verses really painted a pretty bleak picture for us, right? It wasn't a pretty picture that was being painted. And then we talked about how in verse four, the word but is a very encouraging word there in that text because there's lots of bad news. And then you've got the word but. And that means something's about to change. And we know that God sent His Son to change. Remember last week, if you were here, I used the the idea of God changing the adjectives of our lives from sin and dead and transgressor and, and follower of the world, object of wrath. Those adjectives changed to adjectives like made alive, saved those are amazing words aren't they he changed the adjectives for you and i and now we're going to peel back the top of that gift box and we're going to take a look at what's actually inside and what we're going to find i hope is that it's not a religion that's inside this box but it's a relationship with a loving god who wants to be your your perfect father For all time. Now Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now that phrase, by grace, in verse 8, by grace, is, grace is actually the favor of God on sinners. You see, grace goes further. I think I've said this before. Grace goes further than mercy. We need mercy, right? Right? We need to be forgiven. We need to be pardoned. But grace says, not only am I going to forgive you, not only am I going to just say you're free to go, I'm going to say you're forgiven, but I'm also going to bless you. And I'm going to give you my presence and my blessing as well. You see, grace goes beyond just mercy, and grace actually gives unmerited favor, which means that's favor and blessing to someone who does not deserve it. That's what grace ultimately is about. And it says that it's by grace that we've been saved. And so the context here of that phrase by grace is that, yes, it is the favor of God on sinners, but it also means the power in this context, the power of God to save us. The power of God to save us is by His grace. It's wrapped up. His power is wrapped up in His grace to save us. So the idea there, if you put it all together, is that His powerful grace is what saves us. It's not just weak grace, like I'm going to just let you walk all over me kind of grace. It's powerful grace. It's grace that has the power to change a dead heart and breathe life into it. We, talked, we asked the question last week, what's the one thing that a dead man needs? One thing. Life. This grace has the power to breathe life into a dead heart. That's the kind of grace we're talking about. We, we continue there. It says, it's by grace that you have been saved. That phrase, have been saved there, literally means deliverance from God's wrath. Now, I've said this many times here. I know we don't like to talk about wrath. It's not a positive, exciting thing to talk about. It doesn't just fill up our journals, right? And it doesn't make a Facebook status. But wrath is, God's wrath is very real. And we talked about last week in those first three verses of chapter two, how it became very clear that the picture was not good for us and that God's wrath was gonna be poured out on the junk and the sin and the mistakes of our lives, right? Because God is 100% just and he must punish sin. And then the butt came in and the butt changed things because not only is he 100% just, but he's 100% what? Loving, right? And so in his love, he sent his son to intercept his wrath. I mean, is that, is that amazing? I mean, just think about that concept. That you go, I know that by my nature, I'm obligated by who I am to punish this sin. But I'm also by my nature, I am love. I'm not, really to say he's loving is not even really accurate, is it? He is love. And so, because I am love, I'm literally going to sacrifice my son to intercept the wrath that I have to send and then I'm going to turn to these people and I'm the who I love and I'm going to say will you accept this gift that I've just paid paid for by the price the price that is the blood and the death of my son that, that's that's powerful grace right it's powerful grace by grace you have been saved and then I guess th- I love how with Paul you can you start reading along and you go you ask a question and then he answers it. So by grace you have been saved how? How? Through faith. Right? How have you how do we access this? That's really the question. Is okay, we've been saved by grace. Awesome. How do we access that? And Paul goes, I'll tell you, it's through faith. It's through faith that we've accessed it. What is through faith? Well, faith and, and, and accessing it through faith is that we have complete reliance on Jesus for our salvation and our forgiveness and our everyday lives. What through faith is saying really is that the, the by grace we have been saved part, that we are staking our claim and our life on the on the fact and the statement that by grace through uh, that that we have been saved by grace through Jesus Christ and that there's nothing else to add to that equation there's there's no need for anything else there's no there's no adding a Jesus and a good life is what saves you no there's no Jesus and a successful career that that's you're good to go if you do that jesus and a happy healthy family that mm -mm. jesus and doing all the right things and going to church and being in bible studies and being a good little christian that then you're good really what through faith is saying is that we're staking our claim on the fact that jesus is sufficient for our salvation jesus plus nothing is sufficient for our salvation. He alone is what we stake our claim on. Because of God's favor on us, He shows His power of grace by saving us from His own wrath. And you know what He asks in return? This is what's phenomenal. He says, here's what I'm asking in return. I'm asking in return that you would simply rely on me alone. For your salvation. Um, let's be real. In that sentence, who's doing the heavy lifting? Sounds a lot like God is, right? Not us. That seems like a pretty good equation, doesn't it? In our favor. Then it says here, as we continue, you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves it is a gift of God so I guess the good news or the bad news depending on how you walked in here today I guess is that this really doesn't have anything to do it's not based upon anything you've done or haven't done it's saying it really doesn't have anything to do with what you've done It doesn't have anything to do with what you haven't done. Now, if if you walked in here today and you're going, well, wait a minute, I came in here going, I'm I'm pretty good, right? I'm good to go. I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm, I'm as good as they get. I'm a good person. Well, that might be bad news to you then. I don't know. But for me, it's good news because you know what? In my quiet, honest moments, I know my heart. And I know that there's nothing good in it that came from me. And so it's good news to me that it didn't have anything to do with what I've done or what I haven't done, but that it all can be staked on what he's done. That's good news to me. It says here that it's a gift of God. It's a gift with no strings attached. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to work for it. And there's nothing you can do to buy it. You see, Janie, bad news. You can't buy this gift, it's not for sale. Because it never had anything to do with what you were doing or not doing anyway, right? You see, Janie's trying to take that gift that's been given to her for free and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I can't accept something as a free gift. I must contribute something. And the metaphor there is that Jesus is saying, here's your free gift. And we're going, thank you. How much? And he's going, you're missing the point you couldn't earn this you know how much good can i do to make this to make this a fair trade there's not your life your lifetime isn't big enough to do enough good to erase the sin that we were born into if that was the case, do you think that the God of the universe would have sacrificed His Son for something you and I could have done if we just, on it, just tried hard enough? No. He went to drastic measures because we had a drastic issue. That's love, guys. It's grace. That's powerful grace. Now, Continues in verse 9. Not by works so that no one can boast. You see, our works, again, have nothing to do with our salvation. And let's be honest for a minute. If they did, and I, I can't speak for you because I, I I know you, but I don't know you well enough to know. But I know me, okay? And I know that if God came down and said, Walt, the reason I chose to, to save you and redeem you and make you new is because God, gosh, golly, you are just so daggone good. You know, like, you look at you. You are good. You know, I just did a great thing when I made you, didn't I? You're something else. i tell you what, that's why I'm going to do this for you because you are just, it doesn't get any better than you. Right? If that happened, it's funny, in the first service, before I even got that phrase out of my mouth, my wife's sitting over there laughing. And I'm like... Really, Caroline? You can't even wait until I'm finished with the sentence to start laughing with the rest of the people? Um, but here's the truth of the matter. If that was the case, this wouldn't be called Renovation Church. This would be Walt Anderson Church, right? And the problem with all that is, is that it wouldn't be too long, we'd be buying an island in South America somewhere and drinking Kool-Aid, right? Right? It's not created to be that way. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go look it up on the internet. Jim Jones. That's what you need to Google. All right? It doesn't work that way. And when it does start working that way, things get really bad really quick. Because God knows that we have a tendency to what the scripture says. We have a tendency to boast, don't we? Look at me. Look how great I am. He goes, there's no room for boasting. There's no room for boasting. You see, as we said the, uh, yesterday or last week, that the enemy, Satan himself, he, he begins to bring us up and make us think that we're all that in a bag of chips, right? That we're great. And then he brings us up so that he can just crash us down. But God brings us down to a place of worship on our knees before God so that He can lift us up. And so that when we're lifted up and we're looking around, we're going, wow, I had nothing to do with why I'm lifted up right now. This is all God. And then guess who gets the glory? Guess who gets the boasting? God gets it. Instead, God offers us this free gift through Jesus. This amazing gift. We open the box and we just see this amazing gift that God he, he paid it all to give it to us. And you know what response He wants? The response that He wants is really simply us looking at that gift and going. Wow. And then saying, you know, the only response that works for a gift like that, it's almost insulting to pull out the checkbook when you get that awesome gift, right? The response to a gift like that is to go, here's, here's my life. The only thing I know to give you after a great gift like that is Me. I'm yours. I'm yours. Now we're going to take a look because I, I think that you know, religion, this idea of religion, this idea of this disconnectedness from our heart. I think that that we probably have some misconceptions. Some of us have probably been hurt by religion. We felt pushed away by religion. We've, we've maybe felt unfairly judged by religion. We've maybe felt that religion didn't live up to the hype, so to speak. Maybe we felt burned out by it because there was no heart in it for us. It was just doing or saying the right thing at the right time, blah, blah, blah. And that Who cares, right? I mean, that's not what it's about. So I want to ask the question, what are the things that are not in the gift box that maybe we think are in there? When we open that that gift box, what are the things that are not in there that maybe we think are in there or we thought are in there in the past? One thing that's not in there is shame. Because God does not deal in shame. God is not the author of shame. The author of shame is Satan, the enemy of God. He's the one, again, who lifts you up to bring you down. He shames you. What God does is something different. It's called conviction. And He, through the Holy Spirit, will bring conviction that puts us on our knees in worship so that we then can be raised up again in His power and so that we can then become more like Christ And continue to give him more of our lives. You see, God doesn't shame us for our mistakes. Instead, he convicts us in order that that we we can be rid of the sin and the stain and move forward in repentance. You see, conviction leads to repentance, shame leads to depression. God doesn't want us to be shamed and depressed. He wants us to be convicted, repentant, and set free. That's what He wants. Another thing that's not in the box is rigid rules. Rigid rules. Now, I, I want you to think about this because I think we've got, a fi- we've got a fine line here, don't we? We've got a fine line of, oh, God doesn't care what you do, right? Just do whatever. It doesn't matter to God. Just do whatever you want to do and He's okay with it. Well, He loves you regardless. That's true. But I think there's a fine line between he's okay with it, just do it. And then the other line of, hey, you better watch. You know, it's almost like uh, God's like Santa Claus. You better watch out. You better not cry. You you know, he's coming to town. He's going to get you, you know, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. God's looking, you know, that kind of thing. There's a fine line between that. And I think that's that's where scripture lies with it is that it's not about rigid rules, but you think about a relationship. I want you to think for a minute about the most healthy relationship you've ever been in. It might be a friendship. It might be a dating relationship. It might be a marriage. It might be a family member. Whatever it is, the most healthy relationship you've ever been in. And when you think about it, you go, did I stay in that relationship? Did I, did I act a certain way to show this person I cared about them? Because there was a rule that I had to do that, Right? No. You don't stay married because of a rule. If you do, you stay married in misery. You don't stay married because of a rule. Because if your heart's not connected to it, you know what? It's not going to last. You're going to bail eventually. You don't stay in a friendship because there's a rigid rule. Eventually, that friendship's going to fizzle out, right? Now, think about my relationship with Caroline. Caroline. It's not perfect, but it's really good. And I love her very much. And I, I was thinking this week um, that uh, on the 7th of December, 10 years ago, I asked her to marry me. And um, and I, I actually, she actually asked me that morning, do you know what today is? And I'm like, December 7th, 2012. Like, what? It's Tuesday. You know, like, I, what? Um, and uh, And she was like, it's the day that you, and then it actually hit me before she said it. I asked you to marry me on this day. She said, "That's right, that's right," and um, and I think about I think about that, and and she obviously said yes, which is good because I put on an entire concert, um, and if she had said no, it would have been really embarrassing. Um, but she said yes, and I think back on that, and if it had just been about a rigid rule and just We're getting married, and it's a contractual agreement, and da-da-da-da-da. When she'd have said yes, it would have been like, oh, thanks. You know, high five, fist bump, awesome. You said yes, let's go to the movies or something. You know, I I don't know, right? But instead, she said yes, and what did I do? Like a six-month-old baby, I cried my eyes out, Okay? And then we had a big dinner and celebration with friends and family. And then we, were, we had this engagement and eventually we had another party where we got married. And it was wonderful. And, and even to this day, we, you know I'm, I'm not always perfect at this, but I, I try to pursue her and love her and show her that I care about her and nurture that heart, right? Because the thing with rigid rules is our heart is not connected to rigid rules, Right? We don't connect our, I, I mean, I guess there's some strange people out there, but for the most part, we don't go, I just love a rule. I, love, I got rule books in my library at home. I just love rules. Rules are the best, you know. And I like to hang out and talk about rules. I mean, that, you know, that's not most people. Because there's no heart connected to that, right? But when your heart gets connected to something, it's no big deal to stay within the lines, Right? When your heart gets connected to somebody and you want to spend the rest of your life with them, you don't go, well, I guess I won't cheat on them since it's a rule. You know? <laughs> like, I mean, seriously. You go, you know what? I'm not going to cheat on them because I love them. I'm, I'm, my heart's connected to this person. Right? It's the same with God in that he's going, I do have a way that I want you to live. And it's, it's best for you. Besides just giving Him glory, which it does, which is really the big point, but besides that, it's just good for us to live that way. It's better for us to live His way. He says, there is a way I want you to live, but it's not a rigid rule. It's that I want your heart involved in in your relationship with me to the point that your heart is going, you know what, it's a joy to obey God. It becomes a joy because my heart's connected to it. And I want to be faithful to Him because look... At that gift. Man, look at that gift he gave me. I'll give my life to that kind, of, that kind of gift. Another thing that's not in there is an offering plate because instead it's an offering basket. You can put your gifts right here. No, I'm just kidding. There's not an offering plate. There's not an offering basket. All right? God does not need your money. Okay? He does not need your money. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take a twist on that, something I learned from Dave Ramsey. You don't have any money. I, don't, I hate to tell I, I know that's hard news for You don't have any. I don't have any. For some of you, you're going, that's a lot more true than you realize. <laughs> right? You don't have any money. Because the resources you've been given, God's allowing you to use them. He's allowing you to use them, and he's, and he's trusting you to be faithful with them, and he's trusting you to use them for good, and he's trusting them for you to use them to support, I mean, honestly, to, yeah, support the kingdom things that you believe in. He is asking you to do that, but it's his money. It's all his stuff, right? We just get to use it. I'm glad we do, because I have some fun times with money, you know? I do. I like money. It's It's okay. I enjoy using it, and I I don't really like paying bills with it, but I have to. But we enjoy that, right? And he allows us to do that, and we're thankful for that. But ultimately, he's not looking at you going, "Hmm, hand it over, hand it all over. As a matter of fact, Scripture teaches that you actually get to decide what you want to do with 90% of it. Pretty good deal. What other deal gives you that? I'm going to give you some money. I mean, think about that. If if I gave you $1,000 and said, you keep 90% and give 10% to somebody else. You wouldn't go, well, how dare you tell me I got to give 10% to somebody else? That's terrible. you go, okay, hand it on over, right? I'll take that. And so the bottom line there is that God doesn't want your money. Another thing that's not in there is a suit and a tie we don't really, that, that suit and tie thing may not land at this church like it maybe would some churches, I guess. But the point there is that God's not looking at the outside appearance, right? Now, there was a, a story in the Old Testament when Israel was, um, was looking for a new king. God had rejected Saul, who was the first king, and said he was going to anoint a new one. And he told Samuel the prophet, he said, hey, we're, we're going to find a new king, and I want you to go to the house of Jesse, and there I'm going to show you who it is, all right? So they go to Jesse's house, and Jesse starts marching out all of his sons, and they're all strapping, and look like they've been working out. They look kind of like me, and they just come out there. and they, Why are you laughing? Okay, shaking your head. Some of you are like, no, nah, that's not true. Um, so these big strapping guys come out, and one by one, they march in front of Samuel, and God just continues to whisper to Samuel's heart, nope, nope, nope. Finally, the last one, you know, just a big strapping guy, and Samuel's saying, this has got to be the one. Nope. So finally, he goes to Jesse and goes, do, do you have another, do you have any more sons? And this is pretty bad, because Jesse actually forgot about him, and goes, no, I don't. oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I do have one more. I forgot about him, David. But you, don't, he's out in the fields dealing with you don't you, the shepherds the sheep. You, you don't you don't want to deal with him. He's not king material. Samuel says, bring him in. Well, this little old little old small guy didn't look much like a king. Look looked more like the one who would eat the food before the king to make sure it didn't have poison in it. Look more like that guy than he did the king, right? He marches him in front of Samuel and God says, that's the one. Anoint him. He is the next king of Israel. What a story. Not only is he the next king of Israel, he would be the greatest to this day, the greatest king of the nation of Israel. And you know what? God spoke to Samuel's heart and it was written down in God's word. He said, Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. Isn't that something? That's one reason here at Renovation. It's not that you have to wear jeans and a t-shirt. But we want to create an environment where, you know what? You can just be you. You can just come and be you. If you is a fancy hat and a flowing dress, then wear it and be you. Okay? Okay? But if you is a leather jacket and and jeans and flip-flops, it that might look weird. But if that's you, then do it. Because we believe that what matters is the heart, not the outward appearance. The last thing that's not in the box is doing more for God. You see, God doesn't want your busyness. God doesn't want just your busy religious activity. You know what God wants? God wants you in a relationship with Him to the point that you go, you know what? I have discovered what it is in the kingdom of God that I'm passionate about. I've discovered what it is that God has given me a gift to do in the kingdom of God, and I'm going to do that. Because let me tell you, when you begin to operate in your gifts and you begin to use your gifts for God and use your gifts in the kingdom of God, it doesn't feel like, Busy work anymore. It really doesn't. That doesn't mean it's not hard. That doesn't mean it's not challenging sometimes. Anything that's worth anything is difficult sometimes, right? But at the end of the day, you go, I know I'm doing what I'm called to do. It's not just about being religiously busy, but it's about going, I'm going to find my niche and I'm going to do it. And sometimes God will go, That's your niche for this season, and then I'm going to advance you and you're going to do this. You know, it's not always like I'm, I'm this and I'll do this the rest of my life forever and ever and ever, amen, right? But it's not, he doesn't just want more of your, of your busyness. So that's not in there. What is in there? What's in there, if you hadn't guessed already, is a relationship with God through Jesus. That, that's what's in the box. It's really very simple. It's really very simple. It's messy. It's messy. And, and God never said it would be easy. As a matter of fact, he told us in his word that in this life there would be trouble. He said, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He also said, if they hated me, they're going to love you, right? <laughs> if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And he also also said he never promised the road was easy, but you know what he did promise? He said, I will be with you always. He didn't promise a pristine path, but he did promise his presence. It still leaves us with questions at times. I still have questions. I can be driving down the road and going, "I, I have this moment every now and then where I go, this doesn't make any sense. When I mean this, I mean thi- all of it. This, all of it. I go, this is crazy. This makes no sense. But you know what I've discovered about God? When we have those doubts and those questions, He's big enough for us to bring those to Him. He's not intimidated by those questions. He's not offended. Oh, how dare you question me? You go over there until you've learned your lesson. You know. I mean, He goes, come to me. Br- bring those to me. Let's talk through these. And what I've also learned in my journey with God is when you have those questions that just gnaw at you, over time, if you're faithful in talking to Him and bringing those things to Him, He'll do one of two things. He'll give you an answer or He'll give you peace. And peace is just as good if not better than an answer, right? Because if you've got peace around a question, you can lay your head on your pillow at night and you can sleep. It does, of course, as we've discussed, it does, the the, the gift in this box, box does demand something of us, but it's not what you might think. You see, God wants, what He wants from you is not for you to feel shameful about who you are, to follow a rigid set of rules, your money, for you to look or behave a certain way or for you to do more for Him. What He wants is you. He wants you. I've got a story about how my mom came to faith and she was a young, young girl, 14 or 15 years old. She said her brother was at some Boy Scout thing at the church up in in Virginia. And she was sitting outside smoking on a cigarette and um, waiting for her brother so she could walk him home. Her parents just worked all the time. So her and her siblings really had to really raise her younger siblings. And this, this man came up uh, as he was walking in the church. He sat down and talked to her and and he, he began to ask her about faith and about, did she, did she know Jesus? Had she put her faith in Jesus? And she said, well, no. And, and um, he said, well, would you be interested in doing that? And she said, I, I knew I had him. I had him. She said, I knew I had him because I said back to him, I said, well, I would, but I'm not willing to quit smoking. Because she thought, well, this guy's going to tell me I can't be a Christian if I smoke, right? And, um, and he looked back at her and he said, oh, that's, keep smoking, that's, that's fine. You don't have to stop smoking. And she prayed a prayer of faith then. That seed took some time to grow. But it wasn't too long uh, after, I, after they were married, my mom and dad, that they said, you know what, it's time that we actually take this seed that God planted in us as kids, and it's time for us to let this thing grow. We're going to start actually living out our faith. And I'm so thankful they did, so thankful they did. But you see, if if he had harped on that little detail, I'm not here to discuss whether you can smoke or not. That's that's not the point. But but the point is, if he had harped on a detail of, well, you're right, you're going to have to put that cigarette out before we pray this prayer, right? She might not have prayed that prayer. God says to you, let's worry about the details after you belong to me. After you belong to me, let's walk the details out because he's big enough to do it. And guess what? He has has a Holy Spirit who can begin to work in your life and work you through these things. Guys, I'm telling you, please, if you don't hear anything, he doesn't want you to be a part of a religion. He wants a relationship with you that's at the heart level that's what He's longing for with you. A couple next steps. We, we've we got a great opportunity for you to just discover and jump in and just sort of run around in this whole God, Christianity, Bible thing. It's a course called Alpha. Starts January the 9th at 6 o'clock. It's going to be a great time. Some of you have done it already. If you haven't done it, I encourage you, To do it. If you've done it already, what a great time to grab a friend and bring them with you on the course, okay? It's a great time to really talk through all these things that we're talking about. And it's such a safe, um, non threatening environment to discover God's plan for your life. It really, truly is. And then there's another thing that I'm doing. I'm calling it the 90 day challenge because I think the greatest way to grow a relationship is to learn the person that you're in the relationship, to learn their story. Your spouse, part of what compelled you to them, besides you looking across and going, that's a good looking sucker right there, right? I mean, look at them now. You're going, that's changed a little, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> besides the attraction part, was the fact that you heard their story and were compelled by it, right? Right? And this is no different with God. So what we're going to do is, is I'd like to, it's, it's not going to be like a group or a course or getting together at the church or anything, but I'm going to be reading starting January 1st. I'm going to take 90 days and read through the Bible, okay, just, to just experience that story all in one sitting. And I'd love for you to join me. And what I mean by that is I'm actually going to be using a blog to be posting and interacting about what we're reading. Okay. If you'd like to have some face to face time to talk about it, I'm all for that. But I know that 90 days to get through the Bible is, is it's pretty ambitious, right? And so maybe the internet's a way that you can kind of tune in, you know, a couple times a week and maybe have some comments. It's partially selfish, to be honest, because I really want to do this and I love the idea of having some accountability of folks that are counting on me to help you walk through this process. And so I would invite you to do that. There's a link there. There's also, um, on that link, the, the most recent post has a, um, a document that has the whole plan, the 90-day plan there. You can go and, and load that onto your computer and print it. Um, if you're not a computer person, I'd be happy to, to make a copy of it for you. It's just a way to, to, to get involved in his story, right? What a great story he tells us through his word. You know, I think that as we, as we come to this table, as we do every week, it never amazes me. And I I hope that you guys don't feel this way. I think George and I, we, we definitely feel that that this is the case. I hope that you agree. It just never feels like it's forced to end here to me. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think you feel that way either. It seems like it just... If we if we're preaching God's word, we can land at this table, right? And I think that what I'm the, the angle I'm thinking of today around this table is that if Jesus just died for a religion, this table wouldn't have much meaning, would it? It wouldn't really matter. But since he died for a relationship, it has huge significance, right? It's also interesting to me that as he broke the bread and he said, this bread represents my body broken for you. Wasn't it interesting that even the act of doing that was in the context of a meal? Which a meal happens in the context of what? A relationship, right? It all began there. He said, this is my body broken for you. And when he poured the wine, he said, this wine represents my blood. Poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. He didn't say it was poured out for a religion. He said it was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Those are relational words, aren't they? Very highly relational words. I'd love for you to just take a few moments as the servers come and just think through that relationship. I don't know where you stand. You might say, you know what? I need to really... Spend more time on this relationship. In any relationship, if you don't spend time, the relationship withers. Maybe you need to spend more time investing in this relationship. Maybe the 90 day is an opportunity for you to do that. Maybe alpha is another great opportunity. You're really investing in this relationship. But then there might be some of you who go, you know, for the first time, the light bulb just kind of came on for me. I want that relationship. I, I, I know that I don't have all the answers. I don't get it, all of it. But I'm not going to wait any longer till it's all figured out. I'm just going to step in and we're going to work. Me and God are going to work this out. Maybe that's you today. There's going to be some folks on the corners there who would love to talk to you further about that. Okay, They'd love to pray with you. If you need healing or have an issue that you need prayer for, please go, but if you want to begin that relationship, I challenge you to just, it's just a few steps, right, to go and let them pray with you, and you can begin the greatest journey of your entire existence.